the letter that changed the world. This is uh, part four. Why brilliant people can be spiritually blind. <clears throat> Why brilliant people can be spiritually blind. We, we, we studied uh, Romans 1, 16 and 17, mostly last Sunday night, where Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. We talked about that phrase. That'll be online. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So that's kind of thematic in the letter to the Romans. And the assumption of those thematic words is this universal need for the gospel. Everybody needs saving, both the religious Jews and the pagan Gentiles all stand in need of salvation. Part of that will relate to something we're going to study later tonight, and that is the nature of sin, what sin is. You can't understand salvation universally needed until you see what the real problem of sin is universally extended to mankind. Now, after that thematic section, 16 and 17 of chapter 1, the next sort of uh, rough division in the letter is verse 18 of chapter 1 to chapter 3, verse 20. And what Paul is going to do, last part of chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, down to verse 20, he's going to labor to explain what he said in Romans 1, 16 and 17. He'll take several chapters to unfold this worldwide, nationwide people-wide need for the gospel. He'll take a lot of time to carefully spell out the guilt of both the Gentile and the Jew before God. He actually reverses the order of what he did in 116, where he talks about the Jew and then the Gentile. He reverses it when he starts to explain it. And here's why we're looking at this. For Christians, I think these are some of the most important chapters in the whole Bible. Because they deal with what's gone wrong with the world and why it happened. What's gone wrong with the world and why it happened. And I think a lot of Christians will be surprised when you hear where we're eventually going to end up with that answer. The whole epistle to the Romans is built on the foundation that he establishes here. So today, what we're going to do tonight, just so you don't, don't panic, we're not covering all of that tonight. I'm going to go fairly quickly through the Gentile world. He says the, the, the Gentiles and the Jews, they're all guilty. They all stand in need of the gospel. And he's going to explain why. And tonight we're just going to look at the Gentile world. Why the entire Gentile world desperately needs the power of the gospel. I have uh, about four points. Are there four or five? I know what you're thinking. How come he doesn't know that? He's teaching it. Point number one. It is key to understanding Paul's view of the need for the gospel that we understand the nature of human sinfulness. Do you have verse 18 there? Let's read it out loud together, okay? 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's it, right? Okay. Ungodliness and unrighteousness. Um, the order. The order of those terms matters a great deal because we think of sin as just the bad deed the bad thing done, rather than ungodliness, the lack of belief, trust, glorifying God behind the bad deed. The bad deed is, I mean, I know it's splitting hairs a little bit, but it's still important. The bad deed is actually the fruit of sin. The actual sin is the unbelief that gives it birth. Here. It's not a trick question. Adam and Eve in the garden. I won't do it, but if you went to ten Christians and said what sin was committed in the garden, nine out of ten Christians would say Eve ate the fruit that she was told not to eat. And what I would like to maybe shock you by saying is that's the result of the sin. Here's the sin. The temperature comes to Eve And then through her, Adam. But the tempter comes to Eve and leads her to believe that any restriction placed on her is proof that God isn't trustworthy. Do you see it? He convinces her, this isn't in your notes, by the way, that that Any restriction placed on her proves God isn't trustworthy, ultimately loving, and and it leads her not to glorify God as he is. Okay? So the first thing that happens is Eve doesn't trust God. That's sin. The way that sin manifests itself is She takes things into her own hands and she disobeys. Sin is always, there are no exceptions. Sin is always unbelief. You think about it. Um, Pick any random command. Uh, Romans 12. Paul talks to Christian people, the body of Christ, not to take vengeance, not to judge, not to get angry and strike back at each other. Don't take vengeance, he says. Leave room for wrath. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But it happens in churches all the time. Somebody mistreats somebody and they get mad and they strike back. Maybe not physically, but you know what I mean. They strike back. What's the sin? Is the sin the unkind word or text? Is that the sin? No, that's the fruit of the sin. What's the sin? The sin is, I I don't believe that I can trust God with this. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Don, if you're mistreated, you do not have to worry about getting even. I will look after the scales of universal justice. Thank you very much. When I strike back, the sin isn't my unkind word. That's the fruit of the sin. The sin is, I don't believe God's promise. 
So what I'm saying is sin isn't something you can clean up by stopping swearing or getting off that internet site or not cheating and stealing pens from work or whatever it is. Those are, those are the manifestations of sin. The issue of sin is a failure in the heart to glorify God in the heart and trust him. Unbelief is the New Testament word usually given for it. Ungodliness, back in the notes. Okay, one more thing. Calvin and Hobbes. You ever read Calvin and Hobbes? Calvin. I'm getting nervous about Christmas. Hobbes. You're worried you haven't been good? Calvin. Well, that's just the problem. Good is all relative. What's Santa's definition? How good do you have to be to qualify as good? I haven't killed anybody. That's good, right? I haven't committed any felonies. I didn't start any wars. Wouldn't you say that's pretty good? Wouldn't you say I should get a lot of presents? Hobbes. Yeah, but maybe good is more than just the absence of bad glorifying God. Maybe good is more than just the absence of bad. Calvin. See, that's what's worrying me. You get a lot of good theology there. The source of unrighteousness is ungodliness. Specific acts of sin and immorality stem from mankind pushing God to the outskirts of reference. Not glorifying, not trusting, not believing. And, and the proper diagnosis of the real problem is necessary because mankind's problem is not just that he lies or cheats or steals. Those are the results they're the symptoms of something wrong in the heart that, that he can't fix. Okay, point number two. Human sin and misery doesn't have its primary root in a lack of knowledge. See it in 118, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Suppress the truth. So the important point, if we're going to understand sin at all as the New Testament defines it, is you must include the act of rebellion. It's not just ignorance. It's not just lack of info. It's not just that you can't prove the existence of God or man can't figure out that there's a creator. That's not the problem. Paul says that God has not put himself out of reach, but Mankind naturally suppresses the truth of God that's been made available. Now, he makes that point again in verse 20. Probably most clearly here. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they're without excuse. Now, you, you can't see God and his attributes, all of them. They're invisible. 
And so how, how, how will we know? And Paul says the way you will know these things, look at what's made. He will. And this never gets talked about, and I don't have time to, to talk about it tonight. The reason Paul will move from a knowledge of God through what has been made in creation, so, so that mankind is without excuse. The reason he moves from that, and the very first thing he lists in terms of symptoms of man's rebellion is, is uh, same-sex relationships. That's the very first thing he goes to. Not because those sins are worse than any other. That's not the point. The point is, those sins more than any other illustrate Paul's argument. You can't see these things about God. They're invisible. But you can recognize what he's like by what he has made. Sexual orientation. You can't see it. It's invisible. How will we know what the design is? And it's exactly the same argument. I'm sorry to be so blunt. Look at how things are made. Do you see it? Look how things are made, Paul says. You can see the creator's intent for human sexuality by looking at what has been made. It's the same argument that he brings right down through the text. But that's another subject. So verse 20, his eternal power, his divine nature, these things have been clearly perceived, he says. You can perceive them through the senses. You can see them. In the things that have been made, so they're without excuse. So, so here's the problem. Uh, mankind refuses to submit to what is clearly perceivable. And so with those words, Paul introduces the concept of what theologians call general revelation. The things God has made known about himself to all mankind. It's in 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. So, this revelation in creation it's called general revelation for two reasons. A, because it has a general audience in that it's for all people. This is not so. This is not so with other kinds of revelation. 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says the natural person, he's talking about the, the unregenerate person, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So there are certain things revealed about God that the natural man doesn't get. But that's not general revelation that's being described there. So secondly, B, this revelation is called general because its content is general. It doesn't reveal God's whole plan of redemption in Jesus Christ. It does reveal God's existence, his might, his power, his wisdom... And mankind refuses that revelation because it points to a God who is contrary to his fallen lifestyle. Point number three. Paul will explain why mankind can be brilliant in much of his thinking and yet foolish in his thoughts about God. I want to take a minute here. He says in verse 21, Romans 1, 21, 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. This is the history of mankind since the fall, okay? But became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Notice that phrase, became futile in their thinking. While still sharp in much of his thinking, he can only muster futility and foolishness in his unaided thinking about God. That's God's assessment of fallen man's best thoughts and efforts at finding meaning in life apart from God. So, so the real bondage in sin isn't merely that it makes us wicked. It's that it makes, it makes everything about our approach to fixing our situation futile. Empty. It makes, it makes man futile in his approaches to his own deepest needs. And blind to God's gracious solution. So, so the root issue here is mankind's innate, natural bias against glorifying God. Because since the fall, remember the sin, since the fall, this is, what, this is the environment we live in, where the temperature comes to Eve and says, you, if God puts restrictions on you, it's because he can't be trusted. And that affects all of mankind to this day. Unbelief. The sin of unbelief. Uh, I'm going to leave a bit out. Point number four. The genesis of sin and its effect on our world. 23, 24, 25 of Romans 1. So he's continuing now this litany of all the things that have that have resulted from mankind's actions and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because because they exchanged the truth about God that they could all see those basic truths, they exchanged that for a lie and worshipped and served the creature. Rather than the creator, Eve, you, you can't trust God. You need to take situation into your own hands here. That's that. That's what, that's what this is about, worshipping the creature rather than the creator. You don't believe him. That's what the tempter says. You, you need to look after yourself here. Your way will work better. And the fall has just, we call it the fall because it just keeps rolling to this day. It hasn't changed. All sin flows from man's refusal to put God at the center. Every other wickedness flows out of it. Man's ultimate sin is his worship of himself, his disbelief, in the creator, by disbelief, I don't mean disbelief in his existence. I mean lack of trust in the creator. And because man has geared his life to the 
visible, tangible world of the five senses, then he becomes a victim of his own physical desires. He's still a worshiper. The image of God hasn't, hasn't been totally erased. He is still a worshiper. Now he will worship the Kardashians rather than the creator. You see? I want to unpack the theology of this just a little bit more under this point. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And then I'm going to jump to Ephesians 4, 17 to 19. Are those all in your notes? No? Okay, then you have to listen. Probably because it's such a long thing, and you would have had notes about that long, and then people complain. Print's too small, page is too long, margins are too small. Pastor Don, what are you doing to us? So I, sometimes I just leave big blocks out. Here's what it says. You all have your Bibles anyway. I mean, no one's coming to church without a Bible. Don't be ridiculous. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Listen to this diagnosis. Following the course of this world. So the course of the world means everybody's on the same path. They're all going in the same direction. The course of this world following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. And I underlined, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath. We aren't all by nature children of God. We all are by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. Now jump down to 417. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. That's Paul's way of saying this is really true. And, and this is what Jesus would say. This I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Does that sound like Romans 1? Became futile in their thinking. Remember? Now he's talking about in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. But it's not IQ ignorance. Due to the hardness of heart. They suppress the truth. They have become callous. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Why would they be greedy? Well, because if I'm not going to organize my life God's way, I don't trust him, Eve. I don't trust him. He's putting restrictions on me. He has commands. I don't trust him. I will do it my own way. And once I enthrone my own desires, I find myself a slave to them because none of them can, none of them can fill the God-shaped hole in my heart that only the Creator can fill. And so what happens is, well, I need more. That'll do it. Greedy. <laughs> Hasn't worked so far, but I'm, I'm just going to keep trying. Five. God's present judgment on human rebellion. Underscore present. His judgment right now on human rebellion. 126. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchange. By the way, these verses that I'm reading to you now, 
it will be it will be hate speech and against the laws of Canada to read these in 10 years in our churches. So remember them now. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. By the way, that is not AIDS. I had somebody say that to me. That's ridiculous. That's not what it's talking about. The penalty for their error is just, is just what he has been describing. Um, an, increased, an increased appetite, greedy for more, in any direction I can find that doesn't acknowledge the Creator. That's what he's talking about. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. See the mind thing again? Twice, Paul talked about the ignorance that is in them. He talked about futility, futile in their thinking. It's, it's the same theme here again. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. That's why I said the sin, first of all, is unbelief. It's, it's an inward thing before it's an outward thing. All sin. They were filled with, with all manner of unrighteousness. Now he'll go on to other sins. Evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy. Murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Man, he's going, you know, he's going. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, that's not some theocratic law that you find people that sin like this and we execute them. It means the wages of sin is... That's what he's talking about, the law of God. Not some human executed law. I hear people that, that's not what he's talking about. They know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who do them. So he wants to make sure. I I hope you see this. Paul is laboring, laboring, to restate the reason for God's judgment. He wants to make sure we get it right. Since 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. I don't trust him. Like Eve, it's, it's the same sin, just cycling down through the ages. I, I don't trust him on his terms. I will, I will look after things. So sin isn't lying, stealing, murdering, adultery. Those things come from sin, the sin of unbelief, where God says, no, 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 don't don't do that. You're going to ruin yourself that way. Honor me. All of those sins that I just listed, they come from unbelief. There's a... There's something about our culture right now. This isn't in your notes. Forget it. In fact, we're probably done. There's something in our culture that makes us hard, makes it hard for us to glorify God. All of us. And we have to be careful of it. There's a, there's a gradual... I'm trying to find words that I'm not trying to show off. There's a, there's a gradual cultural narcissism. You know what I mean by that? 
that's, that's growing, self-absorbed, attention-seeking. Here's a for instance. Go back a generation. Okay, just go back one generation. What would you think of a person who got a camera, one of those Polaroids, remember? And it spits out the little picture and you... Or the film in the camera that you take and develop, you go to the drugstore and you get your prints developed. So what would you think of a person who got a camera and, and, and took millions of pictures of himself, he just snapped photos of himself, okay? Then he goes to shoppers and he gets them all printed up, gets them blown up, eight by tens. He's got 50,000 of them, all pictures of himself. And then he runs around Newmarket and he finds every bulletin board, every telephone pole, everywhere he can find, and he sticks up pictures of himself all over the place. Every school, every church, there's pictures of this person all over. Here's my question. Go back a generation. What would you think of a person like that? You know what we'd all say. You'd all go, boy, talk about full of yourself. Are you seeing the application of this to our culture? <laughs> There's something goofy happening in our world. There's a, there's a turning to self that is, that, that turning the iPhone around is just a symptom of it. There's something happening that makes it harder and harder. Glorifying God in a selfie world is getting difficult. This is what Paul's talking about here. So the definition of sin. Here's why we looked at the, the Gentile world tonight. Suppressing the truth, not glorifying God. But the reason is unbelief. The root sin, this is the take home. This is what I care that we know. Sin isn't the act. The act is the fruit of unbelief. All sin is the fruit of unbelief. It's the heart that Jeremiah says is desperately wicked. Before the act. And we can't fix this. That's why Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. 